new no baller. I am Chris Rawl, and it is Tuesday, June 1st. On today's show, the Utah Jazz beat the Memphis Grizzlies last night to take a 3-1 series lead. I will have a lot of takeaways and thoughts on that coming up on the other side of an ad. Before we get there, please, if you enjoy listening or watching this show, share it with people in your life who you think may like it as well. It would be a great help to me, and I'd be much appreciative. Now, why gambling should be legal in Utah? A daily segment that I do on the show because I love gambling and because I do it every single day. The Jazz Grizzlies, as I mentioned, play last night. And I take the Jazz at minus five and a half. So the most intense portion of the game for me is not the five-minute stretch where it's a tie game and the Jazz are going back and forth. It was the final 30 seconds where the Jazz are up by eight points and the game is pretty much in doubt. Or the game is not in doubt and the Jazz have the ball. They're dribbling it around. I think Mitchell's going to get fouled. Dylan Brooks actually ties him up. So now we have a jump ball. Dylan Brooks wins the jump ball. They pass to Jaron Jackson Jr., who cans a three. Me, who had been counting his money because I'd made such a smart bet, was now going, oh no, the Jazz lead by five, which means I'm not winning my bet. And this is going to be one of those sad gambling losses that I have to mope around the next day and tell my friends about. And they'll say, you shouldn't gamble. I don't know why you do this to yourself. So Mitchell, he gets fouled on the ensuing possession, makes two free throws. I'm back outside the number. So I'm going to have to weather the final offensive possession for Memphis, which if you've gambled on sports, you know how this plays out. The most important possession of the game takes place between a defense that's not really trying because they know they've won the game and they'll let you get to the rim at will, and an offense that just goes, eh, I could pad my stats, I'll get another bucket, and then we go home. So I know this is going to happen, and I'm just going, I'm already angry about it, I'm already angry about it, I don't like this. Thankfully, Memphis inbounds the ball, and John Morant, who has been able to get to the rim at will this entire series, he pulls up for a very long three that he airballs. Uh, the Jazz inbound it, game over, I cash my bet, I high five, I do jumping jacks, I'm ecstatic, and now I'm here telling everybody on this show how good gambling is and why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah, because the entertainment value of a game never ends until the final whistle. And now, a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your and you always Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. The Utah Jazz defeated the Memphis Grizzlies last night, 120 to 113. Uh, about three weeks ago, I recorded an episode titled Baptism by Fire. It was about the Phoenix Suns, partially. It was about my amateur golf career, partially. And it was about this all-encompassing idea that is really applicable to almost anything that you do in life, of how do you respond to adversity uh, when you're in the toughest circumstances that you can be in, in whatever, that, whatever field that may be, how do you respond? What do you learn about yourself? I spoke about my own amateur golf career and how I couldn't really comprehend what it meant to jump into tournaments where the stakes were higher and the pressure was higher and the course conditions and setup were harder and I had to put myself into that situation and be embarrassed continually over and over for the first however many years of my golf career in order to understand how I needed to improve, how I needed to be prepared for those style of circumstances, and how to train my body and my mind to uh, respond when I was there in a tournament. 
And we see that within the NBA playoffs to the same degree. Yeah, it's still basketball. You're still shooting on rims. It's still the same size court, all that kind of stuff. But everybody who has played in the NBA playoffs, they always speak to this idea. Uh, it's different. It's a different type of basketball. There's more pressure. Uh, it's just a different feel. You're going against the very best teams. You're going against the best coaching staffs who have time to tighten down their game plans and really hone in on your weaknesses over the course of four and five and six and seven games. Uh, this is the push and pull of the playoffs. And it's a continual learning process about yourself. It's looking in the mirror. It's saying, how can I be better? What did we learn from this game? What did we learn from this series? How do we take the hard lessons that we learned from these losses and make ourselves better and hopefully able to win in the future? This is one of the most fascinating things for me to watch as a viewer. And it's why I really love following individual teams because you can see this shaping process over the course of time. So for the Utah Jazz, the era of this team, in my opinion, starts when Donovan Mitchell comes onto the roster. So this is his fourth season now. And the first two years he's with the Jazz, they bow out in the playoffs against the Rockets uh, in two series that were really not very competitive. The Jazz lose both in five games. Uh, and, you know, one of them easily could have been a sweep. And you never really felt like the Jazz could win either series. So they come out of these series and they look in the mirror and they ask these questions of themselves. They say, what do we need to be better at? Uh, what's causing us to lose? How do we find additional scoring and creation besides Donovan Mitchell? If you watch those series, you probably remember like I do, the Rockets just swarming Mitchell because it seemed like he was the only person who could create his own shot. And anytime he took a step towards the key, there were three and four and five Rockets defenders just waiting, going, yeah, come on. We, we know that you're the only person who is going to try and get into this painted area. And we have a lot of athletic defenders who are going to say, no, you can't do that. And so Miss Mitchell suffered through a lot of poor shooting games. And the Jazz looked at that. And they said, how do we improve this? How do we find secondary scoring and creation? So they go and they sign Boyan Bogdanovich. They go and they trade for Mike Conley. They go and they trade for Jordan Clarkson. They start to flush out a team that makes more sense now. Uh, for Donovan Mitchell coming out of those series, he takes a look in the mirror and, you know, he has to learn things about himself. In addition to his environment improving, each individual looks at themselves within the playoffs and they go, how do I need to respond to this adverse set of circumstances better? What can I do better? How can I improve as a player? And for Mitchell, in my opinion, he comes out of that saying, how do I get better as a creator? How do I see the floor better? When I get into this area and all the defenders have collapsed on me, how do I get better at finding open teammates, at seeing plays develop ahead of time in a way that we know the great scores and creators, uh, they see the court, you know, the way that LeBron sees the court three steps ahead of everybody or Chris Paul or players of that ilk. That's what I think Mitchell comes out of those series, looking at himself saying, okay, I can be better at this. How do I improve? We go to last year and the bubble and the Jazz play the Nuggets in a seven game series. And I think coming out of that, the Jazz looked at themselves and they said, okay, Donovan Mitchell played about as good of an offensive series as you could ever expect one individual to play. He was incredible. And we kind of let him down as a team. And so how do we improve there? And I think Quinn Snyder comes out of that and the coaching staff comes out of that and says, you know what? 
Mitchell creates a lot of space for us. And how do we utilize that space? Well, we lean into three-point volume and efficiency. We have a roster that has a lot of talented shooters, and we empower them to shoot. When you have daylight, shoot. In practice, practice three-point shooting over and over. Go into the corner and spot up and shoot. George Yang, go and do that over and over and over. Joe Ingles, go and do that over and over and over. And so we go into this regular season, and we see what the Jazz become because of that. Uh, they lead the NBA in percentage of their points from three-point line. 43% of their points come from there. They set an NBA record for threes made per game with 17. And we see this offense really start to take shape. This offense that's been hacked out of these playoff failures of the past three years. These Rockets series where they had one scoring creator and they really struggled because of that. In this Nuggets series where you wanted more from the supporting cast that wasn't Donovan Mitchell. And this regular season was the best case scenario for this vision of the Jazz offense. Uh, they were pretty unstoppable for the vast majority of the season. And so now we enter into these playoffs. And it's the continual baptism by fire. How do you learn stuff about yourself after every game, after every series, after every year, after a course of years? How do you continually shape yourself to be a better version of yourself? Game one, they're without Donovan Mitchell, their star scorer, and their star creator. And the Jazz don't play very well. They're down by 17 points in the fourth quarter, and it seems like there's a time when they're just going to roll over and get run right out of the gym. And to the Jazz's credit, they come storming back. Bogdanovich puts the team on his back offensively. He's attacking the rim. He hits a few threes. And they have a three at the buzzer from Bogdanovich to tie. He misses it. But at least when you're looking in the mirror, you're the Utah Jazz, and you say, okay, we were in the crucible of the playoffs. We didn't bring our A game. We fought. That's something to build upon. Uh, we had a chance to tie in a game that we did not play well. That's something to build upon. How do we do better in game two? Part of that is just tied into the simple fact that Donovan Mitchell comes back in game two. And part of that arises from more adversity, the continual adversity that comes up in every single game. The Jazz come out on fire. Mitchell cans the three. The place is going crazy. The Jazz go up by 22 points in the first half. It seems like it's going to be a total runaway. The third quarter begins. And Memphis is 17 for 20 from the field on their first 20 field goals of that quarter. And now a 22-point deficit is two points. And I'm in, there in the crowd, and you feel that unease. The Jazz are down 1-0 in the series. Now it's a ball game. We didn't think that was going to be happening. How do you respond if you're the Utah Jazz? What do you rely upon? When these hard questions arise, uh, how do you answer them? That's the playoffs. That's the baptism by fire. So that game is about partially Mitchell, and coming back, and really my takeaway was Mike Conley, here's the ball. Go and do what you know how to do. You're a secondary scorer and creator, and you can do that as a primary scorer and creator in the right set of circumstances. And that's what he was that night. He had 20 points. He had 15 assists. He orchestrated perfectly the Jazz offense from the tail end of the third quarter throughout the entire fourth. It was breathtaking. It was awesome. It's everything you want if you're the Jazz. So that's what they're looking in the mirror and seeing. Okay. Mitchell's back. He's playing limited minutes. I think he finishes with 25 minutes in that game. He scores 26 points. That's a big boost to our offense. And really, that freed up Mike Conley to do what Mike Conley's going to do, that 20 and that 15. So we go into game three. And again, you, you go through this same cycle. The Jazz are playing great through three quarters. Seems like you know a quick spurt at the start of the fourth could put the game on ice. And instead, it goes the other way. Dylan Brooks leads a charge. 
It's midway through the third quarter, or midway through the fourth quarter, and it's a tie game and a game that the Jazz have have really controlled for the majority of the game. So now you that you're there and you say, how do we respond to this? What do we trust in? Uh, the Utah Jazz. There's starting to be a similar theme in what they rely upon in these really tight, tough moments. Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, that guard combination. That's what the entire show was about yesterday. Uh, and, and it was giving the ball to these guys and saying, you can score and you can create, and you both do that at a high level. And it's really hard for a playoff defense to try and choke that out because we have shooting around you. We have Rudy Gobert picking and rolling to the rim. And if the lob's there, he's going to dunk it. And if not, you can hit a floater. You can hit an and one. And if not, you can kick it in the corner for Bogdanovich or Ingles or somebody along those lines, and they'll hit a three. We saw that in game three. I went over a lot of plays that came from Conley and Mitchell yesterday down the stretch. Big threes, big lobs to Gobert, big and ones from Mitchell, uh, big up and under foul out of Dylan Brooks on a three-point shot from Mitchell. These are the answers that Utah's finding out about themselves. Who do you trust in the final minutes of close games? This combination uh, in this offense because it's been born out of the baptism by fire of these past playoff failures. So we go into last night with the Jazz leading the series 2-1, to one, and it follows a similar theme to Game 3. The Jazz are leading, and then Memphis cuts it down, and the Jazz go up, and we enter the third quarter, or we enter the fourth quarter with the Jazz up by 13 points. And it's the same feeling that I had going into the fourth quarter of Game 3. I go, the Jazz make a quick little spurt here, put the game on ice. You don't think about it. You don't worry about it. You go home, you close out the series and all is good in Utah. And instead it goes the other way because to Memphis's credit, they have done what the Jazz did at the end of game one. No matter what is happening, they fight. Uh, and they're down 13 and they say, okay, we're going to play defense. And the Jazz go 0 for 9 on their first nine field goal attempts of that quarter. And out of the blue, DeAnthony Melton turns into some combination of Michael Jordan and LeBron James, and he's making plays all over the court. He's swatting Gobert at the rim. He's making a fantastic dish to Jaron Jackson for a dunk. He's canning three different threes. He scores all 15 of his points in that quarter. So now we're back to adversity in a game that the Jazz ideally would put away and win running away. Now you're in a position, a two-point game with under six minutes to go, that you can find things out about yourself. And so the Jazz, they go back to the well because they're starting to realize that the strength of their team is what they've built on offense. And they say, okay, in the very biggest moment of this game, in the very biggest possessions, what are we going to re rely upon? Who are we going to have step up and make plays? And again, it's Mike Conley, who if you just look at his box score, it's fine, 11 points, seven assists. Uh, if you watch the game and if you watch the most important stretch of the entire game, it was all Conley. Memphis cuts it to two and the Jazz ensuing offensive possession. It's Mike Conley doing his little Mike Conley move where hesitation, jab step at the three-point line, gets the defender off balance, steps behind the arc, swishes a three. A little bit of breathing room. Uh, they come back. The next offensive possession, Mike Conley draws the defense to him. Great dish to Rudy, cutting down the... Down the key, he tries to dunk it, gets fouled, two free throws for him. Good offensive possession. The ensuing defensive possession, who's there? Mike Conley. Strip of John Morant, forces a turnover. The ensuing offensive possession, who is there? Mike Conley, another three. 
Uh, and this is essentially the game. This is where it's won. And it's almost all Mike Conley, which is a theme, again, we've seen for now three consecutive games. This is what made the acquisition of him so exciting. It's why coming out of these playoff failures against Houston, when the Jazz acquired Conley, uh, Jazz fans were really giddy because we'd watch Conley do stuff like this in Memphis for many years uh, in the crucible of the playoffs and in the regular season. And you said, ooh, if you can do that alongside Mitchell, that's a pretty special combination and something that seems like it could really withstand this fire and brimstone of these playoff crunch time possessions. So I mentioned Donovan Mitchell because he was the other half of this combination, again, for the second straight game. Uh, he's looking more spry by the day as he comes back from the ankle injury. His minutes are slowly starting to creep upward as the Jazz feel more comfortable giving him time. He finishes with 30 points and eight assists. He's eight for 22 from the field and two for seven from three. Not ideal. But what I love about this game is the same thing that I loved about last game. And it's what makes Donovan Mitchell special for this roster in the playoffs. Uh, his ability to attack a defense and to force the issue and to get to the free throw line. For the second straight game, he's shooting double-digit free throws. He's 12 for 13 from the line. Uh, and then this is what we know to be a really rock-solid truth in the playoffs. And something that teams have to find out about themselves and find out who the players are on their roster that can do this in crunch time. When your shot is not falling or when the shot of the team is not falling, can we get the ball to you and you put your head down and you get to the rim and you can manufacture points at the free throw line in a really ugly, grinded out way that is necessary sooner or later in the playoffs. That's what this fourth quarter was. The Jazz are three for 16 from the field in the fourth quarter. It was ugly as hell. Never would you watch that quarter and say, this is the, the beautiful, fully realized version of the Jazz offense. We've seen that a lot throughout this series, but it sure as hell wasn't in that fourth quarter. But you see them go 11 for 12 from the free throw line in that quarter. You see them step up and make very nice defensive plays in that quarter as well down the stretch. And this is sometimes what it has to be in the playoffs. If you do this a bunch in the regular season, you look at it as a negative. You go, why are we in this style of game? Uh, our offense should be better. Why are we struggling as much as we are on defense? In the playoffs, you go, we won this game in a very ugly manner. We didn't play our best, but we hacked out a win. Uh, and that's something that is hard to do for any team. And that comes from experience. This is my own personal opinion, but teams that are really weathered and understand how to play in the playoffs, they can win games like this. Because when the walls feel like they're closing in, as they did in the fourth quarter of game three and the fourth quarter of game four, rather than turtling up and going, oh no, oh, we, we've, we've blown this double digit lead and now the team's here and the crowd's growing crazy and we might as well just punt on this game. Teams that have been there before that understand, hey, sooner or later in a playoff game, you will run into hard adversity. And the game is not about the easy stuff before that. It's about how do you respond to this specific moment? That's what the Jazz are learning about themselves, and that's what the Jazz are, they're passing that test within this series. Game three, it was a lot prettier down the stretch with Conley and Mitchell, especially. Last night, it was not, but it arrives in the same place. It's a win. Uh, and that comes from this trial and error, this, this baptism by fire stuff from the past. It's why... Having experience is important in the playoffs. It's why teams that enter into the playoffs without it, there's always these question marks. Uh, the Grizzlies, they're going through their own learning curve themselves because it's a lot of young people on their team, and they're trying to learn what it means to win in the playoffs, 
what is it like to battle this style of adversity, uh, this different set of pressure, this different style of basketball? And, and they're doing an admirable job at it. Uh, but you still have to go through each of these checkpoints within the playoffs. That's what every single team that has ever won a championship has gone through. So that fourth quarter is a testament to the Jazz resiliency uh, and the Jazz being able to learn from the past and being able to embrace the fact that we know what the playoffs are and sometimes the playoffs are you win in any way that you can. The fourth quarter, make some stops, get to the free throw line. Conley, you hit the two biggest threes of the entire game and that's a winning formula last night. Next game, yeah, we're going to have to be better in those areas because if we bring that same style of play in the fourth quarter, we'll probably lose the game. That's how you look in the mirror and you evaluate your performance and you get better. So the other takeaway of this game for me, in addition to the combination of Mitchell and Conley, it's the depth. Uh, and this is the roster construction that you give credit to the Jazz management and you give credit to the Jazz coaching staff for getting the best out of their players. Uh, and it's a construction that comes from these past three years. How do we create more around Mitchell? How do we accentuate the strengths of our best players, Gobert and Mitchell? Uh, okay. Bogdanovich, come along. Conley, come along. Clarkson, Yang, go down the list of all these depth pieces. And what's important about having a roster like the Jazz's within the playoffs, where they have nine real trustworthy NBA players that they're currently rotating through. It doesn't mean you have to have all nine of them play awesome every game. You're afforded games where Joe Ingles is a total ghost, like he's been the last couple games. You're afforded the luxury of having multiple key rotational pieces not play very well and still win a game. Because when you have nine of those people and five of them hit in any given game, that's a winning formula. Uh, last night, we see Jordan Clarkson have his best game of the series, something that the Jazz have really been wanting and lusting after. He scores 24 points. He has six rebounds. He's great in the first half. He's doing all the Jordan Clarkson things that made him sixth man of the year. Getting into the key, hitting floaters, continually tacking the paint, hitting threes when he's open. He goes four for nine from three-point range, a big key formula for him. And you couple that with some other key rotational pieces. And you start to see in a game that the Jazz might not have played their very best, this is how you can grind out a win. Uh, Royce O'Neal, who's been godsend for pretty much this entire series and really in games three and four on the road in Memphis. He comes and brings it again. Nine points, nine rebounds, three steals. He's three for five from three-point land. Uh, he's been a really trustworthy member of the Jazz lineup in this series. He's done what he did during the regular season. He's hit threes when he's had them. He's made hustle plays on defense. He's hustled down rebounds. And he's just one of those glue guys that you need in the playoffs. Uh, and he doesn't have to perform at this level every night. It's great that he's doing it currently. But you know if he doesn't, hopefully someone else will be able to pick up the slack. Somebody like Derek Favors last night, who only plays 16 minutes, but in that time, eight points and five rebounds. That's a huge boost of a bit player coming off the bench. He's key in the first half. He's making a lot of key plays, uh, getting the ball at the hoop, scoring, doing the Derek Favors tip-out rebounds that, that create extra possessions for the Jazz. And they kind of get lost in the shuffle because he's not going to be playing there in the fourth quarter in these meaningful minutes. But over the course of the game, all of these little plays add up. That's why you construct a roster like this if you're the Utah Jazz. That's why you learn from your past and, and try to build towards a better future. Uh, Gobert, you know, he, 
He brings it in the third quarter. He scores the majority of his 17 points there. He finishes five for seven from the free throw line, which for Gobert, that seems like 3 million percent. And he was really active. I felt like it was his best game of the series defensively. He was there in the paint. He was continually trying to affect Memphis's shots. They still had success, but not as much as they've had in the prior three games. You get all of these pieces together in a game, uh, and this is what the Jazz are looking at when they look in the mirror and say, how do we win? Uh, guard combination of Conley and Mitchell? Yes. Check. Depth pieces around them that can shoot the hell out of the three-point ball? Check. Uh, any given night, few of these people are going to contribute in other areas. Clarkson getting into the key, Gobert doing what Gobert does around the rim? Check. That's uh, why on a night like this, when the Jazz finish 17 for 34 from three, it's going to be a really hard team to beat. You know, in the regular season, when they shot higher than 40% from three-point land, they were 24 and four, win rate of 86%. And we know that about the Jazz because they shoot such a high volume of threes. If they're shooting greater than 40% or last night, they're shooting 50% on the nose. That is a really, really hard team to beat because these rotational pieces, in addition to their stars, they all know how to shoot the three-point basket. And when you can continually get open looks over and over again, the Jazz trust in that formula. More times than not, we're going to shoot better than 40%. And when we do, you're not winning. Uh, the Jazz, they have outscored Memphis in this series by 87 points from three-point land. That's why they've built their team in this manner. Memphis, they're not a team that embraces the three. We know this. They're a team that tries to get into the paint, and they've had a lot of su success doing that. But the Jazz, who trust in the mathematics of the three-point shot, and who, coming out of last year's series especially, I think Snyder and the coaching staff made a concerted effort to build upon that as a foundational principle, we're seeing the fruits of those labors. 87 points. Uh, gap between the two teams through four games. I mean, over 20 points per game, the Jazz are gaining from the three-point line. That's really hard to make up if you're the opposition, even if you're getting into the key and scoring at a high rate, simply because last night, the Jazz are shooting 50% from three-point land. That's a lot of points per possession, and it's really hard to match that on the other end. Uh, so this roster construction, this guard combination, this offense, all the stuff that I'm talking about, it ties into the theme of the playoffs. And again, what I love watching about a team over the course of years, it's seeing a better version of itself be realized. And we still haven't seen the fully realized version of the Jazz. They're still in that process. And you're always in that process until you win a title. And even after that, you're still going through that process. The Los Angeles Lakers right now, they're looking in the mirror, uh, facing a lot of adversity in their series. And despite the fact they won a title last year, there's a lot of questions that they're asking themselves, really hard questions that arise in the course of a playoff series. And it, we don't know if they have answers to that, despite the fact that they've won a title just last season. The last thing that I'll talk about when it comes to this game and something that I find to be really interesting about the Utah Jazz in this series and especially, hopefully, for the Jazz moving forward in the playoffs. We're seeing this team go through a, an identity shift from being a defensive team to an offensive team. And I don't say that in the sense that the Jazz are garbage in defense and they don't try to play. I don't mean that at all. But this is my own personal theory, and it's up for debate, and some people will probably argue against it, but this is what I feel like I've seen over the course of the last four years. I think the Jazz looked in the mirror and said, 
The ceiling on our defense in the playoffs is defined. It's this. Because we play a rigid structure on defense and teams know what we're going to roll out there. It's Gobert. It's a lot of perimeter defenders that are not necessarily that gifted. And we're just going to funnel things towards Gobert. Uh, and if he can stop them, great. And if he can't, so be it. But other teams know what they're getting into when they play the Jazz in a playoff series. They know that that's the style of defense that will be there. They know that there's a minimal amount of adjustments that the Jazz can make on defense. I think the Jazz realize that about themselves. And to their credit, I think what they've taken away from these prior playoff series is if we build the right style of offense, then the ceiling on that side of the ball can be infinitely higher than it can be playing this defense. And again, it's not to say this defense is garbage. I still think this defense can do very noteworthy things during the course of the playoffs. But I think the Jazz said, if we build a roster that has a lot of three-point shooters, if we have two guards that are phenomenal at scoring and creating in, in equal parts, and we have Gobert being the screen setter and the gravitational force that pulls people towards the rim when he rolls, that's an offense that if done at a really high level, the ceiling is really high. And the Jazz, if they're looking in the mirror and trying to be the most optimistic version of themselves, they're saying the ceiling of that offense is championship level. And that's really been the case through the last three games while Mitchell has played. Uh, if you're being optimistic for the Jazz again, you're saying Memphis has a good defense. And when Mitchell has played, this offense has burned them to the ground. They've done pretty much whatever they've wanted with the exception of last night's fourth quarter. And even then, the Jazz still found ways to grind out a win. Uh, and I think this whole evolutionary process, it, it comes from a really smart coaching staff and smart management going through these playoff failures and looking at themselves and saying, how do we improve? Uh, we can only do that so much on defense playing this style. Okay, what about offense? Ooh, there's a lot of ways we can improve on this side of the ball. Mitchell, he needs more help. More and more and more and more and more until you flushed out a roster that has shooting and creation in equal measures. And now you're seeing one of the very best offenses in basketball do what they did in the regular season in the playoffs. So this is the most interesting part of this series to me so far. And I'm really interested to see what it looks like moving forward. Because the Jazz have a chance to close out Memphis on Wednesday night. They're nine and a half point favorites, pretty heavy favorites to close the game on their home floor. And then if they do that, they'd be waiting in the wings for the winner of Dallas and the LA Clippers, who I believe their game six would be on Friday night. So the earliest the Jazz could possibly be playing would be Sunday night. Get some rest, get Mitchell's ankle a little more healed, uh, and then be back on the court and try to find out more things about yourself. Uh, it's what I'm really interested to watch about this jazz thing. It's why I find them to be so fascinating in, in a year that seems really wide open for NBA title contenders. Are the jazz actually realizing a, a championship style offense uh, that paired with a defense that still can do things well? Is that a championship formula? Are we seeing that be built? Or are we going to see it come to a head in a series against the Clippers or the Mavericks or further down the road against a different team? where these ideas that the Jazz have about themselves, they might be rooted more in fiction than in fact. And then you lose and you go through the process heading to next year, the same process every single season. How do we improve? 
What did we think about ourselves that was false? Uh, what did we think about ourselves that is true, that can be built upon? It's the continual process of looking in the mirror, uh, of being baptized by fire in the playoffs, and it's something that I'm going to watch with great interest on Wednesday night, and I'll be back here on Thursday to talk about it on this show. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.